Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. In August, an engineering company found evidence of possible graves underneath a parking lot at Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg. The site was once home to Oak Lawn Cemetery, a burial ground used by St. Petersburg's Black community from the early 1900s to the mid-1920s. Researchers and archaeologists across the country have been locating these kinds of sites for years. Five University of South Florida professors responded by creating the Black Cemetery Network. Launched in June, its purpose is to document and highlight the stories of the nation's unearthed cemeteries and the people buried in them. Antoinette Jackson is chair of USF's anthropology department and one of the founders of the network. We spoke with her and Tampa-based poet Walter Jennings, who's also part of the project. Antoinette, I'll, I'll just start with you. Can you just give me a little overview of the Black Cemetery Network, how it started and uh, the work that you're doing, particularly here in the, in the Tampa Bay region? Yeah, I'm Antoinette Jackson, and uh, the Black Cemetery Network started as a part of a call to action, actually, by USF uh, last year. And they were setting out a call to address projects to address understanding Blackness and uh, addressing anti-Black racism. And they set out a call for people and projects working on those types of issues or interested in working on those types of issues. So my team and I, uh, my co-PIs and myself, that would be, and I would like to name them, Cheryl Rodriguez here in Tampa and in St. Pete area, Dr. Julie uh, Armstrong and Dr. Kathy Arthur. And we set out to create a uh, a response to the call for action, because we are very interested in these questions and concerns that had been surfacing about uh, erased and um, marginalized Black uh, cemeteries in the area. So uh, we put in a call uh, and a response to the call for action, and we received the grant. And that's how we really got started. And our project was uh, entitled Addressing African-American Burial Grounds and Remembering Project. Uh, living communities challenging silence histories in Florida. So that was the the overarching project. And then uh, the Black Cemetery Network was something that was one of the outputs of that uh, project. So it is it started as a specific project and a call to action from the USF, uh, you know, regarding uh, the issues of uh, addressing Blackness and understanding Blackness in um, uh, in the in, in response to the George George Floyd murders. Walter, how did you get involved? Sure, so I actually am a spoken word artist and represent the Tampa Bay poetry and spoken word community. And so while Dr. Jackson has been doing this work for a number of years in the artistic community, when they begin to have the unearthing and the discovering of these black cemeteries, we as artists were having conversations about how we could document and what was our role as it relates to these cemeteries. And so I heard about Dr. Jackson's project. I'm, I'm actually a USF employee as well. And so when she received the grant and was noted as one of the individuals that uh, was doing this particular project, I reached out to her. I shared with her the conversations that we were having in the artistic community and, and wanted to offer our support to see how we could help to broaden the message of the, of the information and the uncovering of the Black cemeteries. And of course, she was very excited and we were very thankful as well. And so we seek to provide an artistic interpretation and again, to help expand the messaging of what these black cemeteries means, not only in 
past terms, but also in contemporary terms as well. The way that we talk about these cemeteries matters. I think I think there's a there's a tendency to describe them as abandoned, and that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, Antoinette, you used, you used the term erased, and that might be a better a better description of uh, what's happened to some of these burial grounds. From your perspective, what's the best way to describe these sites? Yeah, I would like to say too that these burial grounds and these sites are very much about the living, and these cemeteries and these uh, black cemeteries that no longer exist or that we no longer physically see in many cases is which is why I say erasure because we don't actually physically see many of them on the landscape. So they are, they are actually hidden uh, and erased in that regard. But they're very much about the living and creating a place of conversation, a place of remembering, a place of storytelling, a, a place for showing, you know, what matters to people in the present. And so it Cemeteries are often, you know, noted as sites for the dead, but they're very much sites for the living. And that, again, is one of the things that we want to raise awareness about because uh, it speaks to our communities now. It speaks to who we are as a people today, uh, how we uh, remember and mark and note these cemetery sites. So that is the importance of the project and of our work. Walter, can you give some examples of, of some of the artistic work that you've done around some of these, these sites that the, the Black Cemetery Network is, is focused on? Sure, absolutely. So we've actually recruited a team of not only spoken word artists, but also uh, writers, authors, individuals that have done prose uh, that have uh, created pieces and are documenting some of these stories in artistic ways, whether they be in the form of an essay, I actually have created a poem and the premise behind it as the kind of opening for the project are to ask a series of rhetorical questions to get people to think about the, this project, again, as Dr. Jackson mentioned, in contemporary terms. What does, what does this mean in, in, today's, in, in today's world that we live in, and especially in the areas that they are being discovered? You know, how does it impact the dealings and, the, and the, the things that are going on in those particular areas. When you look at a place like Zion Cemetery in Robles Park, which is a low income housing area, how does that income the, the citizens and their morale and, and their quality of life there? When you look at Oakland and some of the others over in St. Petersburg, how does that impact the, the, the overarching and even the larger community that was erased from that area? And so we have created poems, we have created essays, and uh, are very proud, again, to represent from an artistic standpoint some of the voices that have been silenced in the process of the, of the erasures of these cemeteries. So let's talk about some of these, these sites in the, in the Tampa Bay region. Walter mentioned Zion Cemetery in, in Tampa. Antoinette, can you talk a little bit just about the work that's going on there to... Um, I, I want to use the word preserve, but it's underneath a, a lot of these uh, apartment buildings. What's going on there to get to what's uh, what's underneath that site? Yes, uh, my team and I, again, are focused on four cemeteries, and one of them is Zion Cemetery in the Tampa Bay area. And Zion Cemetery currently sits under Robles Park Housing Complex. And that is one of the ways that my team and I got involved in this particular conversation in the first place is because Cardinal and the Florida Public Archaeology Network uh, unearthed uh, some of these uh, cemeteries through doing ground penetrating radar. They located physically 
uh, and confirm the fact that it was actually a cemetery under this housing complex. Uh, what our team has been doing and working in conjunction with the Robles Park Housing Association, the Tenant Association with the Tampa uh, Housing Authority and others uh, in the area have been to talk to residents, talk to families and, and work with people to try to find out who are descendants of those cemeteries and figure out how ways to memorialize the people who are buried in this site. Zion Cemetery was one of the oldest cemeteries in the Tampa Bay area uh, in the beginning of the early uh, 1920s. And, uh, and, and somehow it went, you know, missing from, and which is one of the problems with the erasure, it went missing uh, from some of the public records stating where it exactly was. Some of the property deeds didn't show, show that that cemetery actually existed, although many of the families and people who were obviously had, had people buried there knew of the cemetery. So uh, what's going on now is to, to try to figure out as it goes undergoes development, what to do with that site today, what to do about uh, remembering that cemetery and remembering the family and the community associated in the churches associated with that cemetery site today. So um, in conversation with the Tampa Bay Housing Authority, again, with residents of the community, there are many plans being floated as to what type of memorialization to do at that site as we fold into and roll into the redevelopment of that area. And I'll talk later, I guess, uh, about the other three cemeteries that we're working on, which are in St. Petersburg, Oaklawn, Evergreen, and Moffat cemeteries. Yeah, actually, if you, if you want to talk about those uh, now, because that was going to be my next question, um, because I know that there's, uh, you mentioned Cardno, the engineering company, they've done some, uh, some studies recently on, on those sites. And there's kind of an ongoing discussion now in St. Pete about what to, what, what are the next steps to uh, identify and honor the, the remains on those sites? Yes. Yeah, so again, one of the first things is that what happened to the records that indicated that there were cemeteries at that location, that's one of the big questions. How did that, again, those records go missing? And the second issue is in the present, you know, using the GPR, Cardno and Florida Public Archaeology Network have been using that GPR to kind of you know, look at those spots of so the parking lot, uh, the VIP parking lot south uh, of as part of Tropicana Field, and then looking again uh, around those areas adjacent to that to see and confirm that there are actually bodies or, or markers, graves. Uh, let, we don't know for sure if it's actually bodies in there, but, uh, but that there was a grave, a cemetery there. So that is active and ongoing. And right now the re report of for some of the findings from that work by Cardno and by the FPAN uh, is being evaluated and, and, and next steps are being determined. Uh, the part that my team is playing and others who are uh, interested in the community that used to, um, one of the communities that used to be located in that site in the churches and the houses and the people that were at one point associated with what was called the gas plant district are how do we get those people in the conversation about what to do with that site going forward? How do they want to memorialize? How do they want to acknowledge uh, the history of that site? How do they want to acknowledge what goes next or what is done next in that site? So these are all the kinds of questions that are, are going and that will going on and that will be triggered by what comes out in the report and then triggered by what the city wants to do going forward with that area, which is culminated uh, near Tropicana Field as one of the bigger markers of what where these cemeteries were located. 
Again, it was three cemeteries, Oaklawn, Evergreen, and Moffitt in that area. And one of those, I, I believe it sits right underneath uh, Interstate 175. It's not even in the Tropicana Field parking right. lot, is that right? Exactly. So I'm saying it's like 16th Street South between 3rd and 5th Avenue South. So right in that area, part of it is the Tropicana Field, one of the parking lots of Tropicana Field, but the other is I-175, the, the, uh, you know, the overpass. Um, it sits beneath that. So yes. Uh, so some of those are not actually just in the parking lot, but all under the highway uh, exchanges that are right in that area. Well, the other variable here is, is the city of St. Petersburg and especially Mayor Rick Kreisman want to move forward on, on redeveloping the Tropicana Field site. How does that factor in, in, into your work to learn more about these, uh, these cemeteries and uh, if, if there's still graves or, or human remains there? Yeah, that the fact that they want to move forward with redevelopment makes our work even more current and useful and important is because, again, we want the communities who are impacted or have been in the past because, again, those cemeteries have a long history from the late 1800s uh, forward uh, as being part of that area. So we want people who were who had families or descendants or connections to those cemeteries over the historical period that it, they existed to be part of these conversations or their descendants to be part of these conversations as to what to do next and to help, you know, create, uh, again, the memorial, create uh, a remembrance of what you know, what that area looked like at one point, and to be very much, again, very much at the table with these conversations and not to decide for people, but then to have a space for people to be current. So our team is actually out collecting oral histories and talking to people who had any kind of association with those cemeteries in terms of their descendants being buried there, or, or in terms of actually perhaps having the church that was located in that area, or businesses, or, or those kinds of things uh, that were located in that area at, at one point when the cemetery was an active part of the um, community landscape. Walter, what have you and your, your fellow artists learned about, about these communities and these people and these, these grave sites as you've gone out and, and talked to folks, talked to possible descendants of people who are buried in these spots? Well, there's been a lot of relief, first of all, at the, the acknowledgement that they exist. And so that is what we believe is just the, the starting point for getting to a place of healing and reconciliation and being able to move forward is just acknowledging that it does exist and then making sure that we do the due diligence of, okay, why did this happen? So that we can ensure that it is not, that, it, that this isn't something that continues to be perpetuated in the future. There is an African proverb that says, when an elder dies, a library burns to the ground. And so the question becomes, what happens to all of those experiences and that information? And so with a lot of these with the unearthing and with these individuals that have been buried, there are history, there are lessons, there are solutions there, there and things that have been buried with them. And so beginning to uncover those stories, a lot of the information that we found, my mother actually was adopted in the 40s and she didn't have anyone that was buried in any one of these cemeteries, but she's a genealogist now, but she's always been very passionate about understanding her lineage and family line. So that's where my passion comes from because it's very granular for her and for me in knowing exactly who are, who are the individuals that, are, that I'm related to, what are some of the medical issues and challenges that I may be susceptible to. So being able to have just a inkling of insight into that information is very helpful. 
And so from an artistic standpoint, being able to capture that information and place it in creative terms allows us to transpose those messages and the importance of it to a broader audience, to young people, to, to individuals who they may not want to sit and listen to a lecture about the, the historical facts of it, but being able to wrap that into an artistic package now makes it a lot more viable for individuals to want to sit and listen to. So it's been really fascinating hearing some of the stories with a lot of the individuals that have been buried at these various cemeteries and just being able to share some of those names and researching their background and some of their experiences. You're listening to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. We're talking this week with USF professor Antoinette Jackson and poet Walter Jennings of the Black Cemetery Network. Our conversation continues in just a moment. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. This week, we're talking about efforts to document black cemeteries in the Tampa Bay region with Antoinette Jackson and Walter Jennings of the Black Cemetery Network. Antoinette, as you look around the country, are there any communities that have reckoned with these issues around these erased cemeteries that's done done a good job of it? That's uh, of terms of highlighting the the, the stories and the, and the and the histories and the connections to the present of people who, who were buried in, in places like these? Yes, as I look around the country and one of the, the strong parts of having the Black Cemetery Network uh, in existence as a website and as a place for a resource for people to go to is that that site shows that uh, Black cemeteries are Black history and that there are many, many of these uh, sites around the country where people are finding out the stories, finding out the information and being able to share that and share that history and show that it's not an isolated issue to any one community and that we um, have such uh, stories and such issues and concerns across the country. So I I really point out uh, Virginia, Virginia Union Cemetery as one of the ones, if you go out on the Black Cemetery Network and look, uh, you will see that they have a very rich site in showing, showcasing the ways in which the community and the uh, people working together to, to uh, maintain that cemetery have created the space for stories to be told and shared and for ancestors and, and descendants to know these stories. Uh, and also right here in the Tampa Bay area, if you look at the um, work being done by the African-American Cemetery Association of Tampa Bay, there are several examples of Rose Hill Cemetery right here in, in Tampa Bay area in which you know, those stories are being worked on and shared. And that also is contained on the Black Cemetery Network. So it is a, and that's one of the purposes of the Black Cemetery Network is for people to have a place to go to show those stories of, I don't know if you want to say the word success, but a story, a place to house the stories and the information and to acknowledge the existence of these sites and to point other people to this history and to this knowledge and, uh, and to continue to share that. Walter, I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but um, would, would you be willing to share some of your writing or, or a, a piece that, that you've written from your, your work with the Black Cemetery Network? Sure. This poem is called Lullabies for Living Communities. And again, it was written as an introduction to the project to help 
to promote it to individuals that may not be aware of the cemeteries and to again raise some questions that will hopefully be able to spark some individual involvement. Sure, go ahead. If the peace of the deceased is disturbed, can there ever really be rest for the living? When children are haunted by the ghost of coffins, who will sound the trumpet in Zion? What lullabies or lies are sung to soothe their superstitions? How long is the distance between time to mourn and time to move on? Between progression and reverence? Shorter than a school bell? Longer than a military exercise? Do, do Black lives matter even in death? When respect is denied amongst the land of the living, then building a future on their bones only requires removing a headstone, obtaining a permit, circumnavigating a state law, Oaklawn, Ridgewood, Evergreen, Moffat, St. Matthew, chapter seven, verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Truth never stays buried. Hope will find its voice no matter how faint. Love is resilient, always smart enough to leave a witness, a testimony, stories that were not lost or forgotten, but rather disregarded and ignored, clues to unlocking the mystery of its existence. Distant memories have become today's conscience. So ask yourself, are you really ready to be woke? What if everything that you know was obtained through the persecution and deceit of others? What if we are ignoring amber alerts from the dirt? What if your giving tree was birthed by seeds that look like me? What if directly under your feet, there were whole communities silenced in an effort to delete another painful chapter in America's complicated history? The past speaks. Are you listening? That was great. Thank you for sharing that. Antoinette, what do you hear in, in Walter's words? I hear Walter uh, evoke the feeling and the, the actually sentiment of what this project is about. It is certainly a call to action and the emotional integrity of the project. It brings, it calls us to respond to the dignity of the people that were um, lost and are buried in those cemeteries. So I, I, I see it as a powerful poem. Uh, I feel it as a powerful poem. And I think everyone who actually hears Walter's poem reacts basically the same way. And it really is a signature uh, way to enter into this conversation. And it really has done um, really the things that, that we were hoping to do in terms of getting more people involved and asking the question of what is going on. And, and it does that um, beautifully. What's needed in terms of resources to preserve these sites, to get, you know, to build that awareness, to get people to understand kind of the generational trauma of this? You know, I'm thinking about Walter's poem and if graves are disturbed and, and you know, these people had people had lives, their lives mattered. They have descendants. What else do you need to go from here in order for these sites not just to be preserved but to be understood well, one of the things i think like maybe three things again uh funding in order to continue the outreach and to continue the collection of oral histories continue the collection on the the research that need, is needed to really understand and learn more about the communities it's a painstakingly process in which you go about 
you know, learning this history and learning from the people who really know this history, which are people located in community, people who have descendants or some type of connection to these communities, churches who may have history, historical records of many of these sites. And that means going, you know, church by church, person by person, and really, you know, talking to people. So we need, you know, need resources and funding to continue. The continuity of these types of projects are important. Secondly, legislation. Uh, Florida has uh, established the task force on what they call abandoned African-American cemeteries. Again, that whole term abandoned is questionable, but the fact is that the focus is on identifying these sites in the Florida area throughout Florida and then figuring out what to do next. So the task force that just was signed into a law to establish that task force in June of this year is focused right here in Florida on doing some of that type of lifting. Legislation is needed to put teeth into when these graves are disturbed or erased or moved or marginalized in any kind of way. What do we do about that? How do we stop that? How do we you know, address it if it has been done. So legislation is needed. Um, and, the, and the third thing again is again, partnerships and successful connections with uh, groups like the uh, artists that uh, Walter represents, genealogy societies, archeology span groups, uh, libraries. And we have right here at USF connections to the USF library who have genealogists and are doing some of the archival work with the census data. My project team members are actually doing a lot of that work. So uh, all of those kinds of things are needed to, to, to go forward. Walter, what else would you like to see in terms of resources? Well, definitely as far as with the finances to also to, um, to honor some of the wishes of how to physically honor the, these cemeteries. So at the very least, a marker, placard, uh, preferably a memorial parks and things of that nature. Uh, we are big proponents of chronicalizing and documenting not only that these, these individuals existed, but also I think it becomes a great lesson for our children and our grandchildren to just as any other cemetery uh, we're able to go and visit and, and share with some of the experiences of the individuals that are there. I think that with these cemeteries, that's an important part of being able to document those, those cemeteries. And I think that's an important part of it as well. Expanding the conversation. I think not being afraid to carry these discussions into the community, into our schools and, and utilizing them as an opportunity, as Dr. Jackson mentioned, for a legislation on how we can prevent this from happening in the future. So, and I think on the on the community side, that that really grows legs when you talk about having uh, think tanks and discussions and opportunities to have these type of crucial conversations about how and why this happened and how we can prevent it from moving forward as we move forward. All right, Antoinette and Walter, thank you very much for this conversation today and best of luck to you in, uh, in your uh, continued work. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Antoinette Jackson is chair of the anthropology department at the University of South Florida. She and poet Walter Jennings are part of the Black Cemetery Network. Before we go, here's a quick update on a story we brought you over the summer. The Tampa Bay Times reports the U.S. Justice Department is conducting what it calls an intensive review of a predictive policing program in Pasco County. A Times investigation of that program recently won a Pulitzer Prize. 
You can read more about it at WUSFnews.org. That's our show for this week. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Bradley George. Thank you for listening to Florida Matters. Join us again next week.